The Old Testament reading is taken today from Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 till 36, which can be found on page 642 in your pew Bibles. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no water, watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the, de of the depth, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is on 1183 of your pew Bibles, 1183, Colossians 2, 1 through 8. We're meditating uh, this late winter on the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ from these early chapters of this marvelous letter of Paul's to the Colossians. And today we come to Jesus, who is our wisdom. So let's hear God's word together. Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You basically have three options. Option number one, face reality. Seek wisdom and understanding. As Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not what? Is not worth living. You can, option one, choose the way of Socrates. You can face reality. But here's the catch. As soon as you start examining life, life in general, your own life in particular, things get frustrating. They get discouraging. They may even get depressing. Contemporary French philosopher Luc Ferry says that all of philosophy is simply this, a quest to help us feel less awful about the fact that we are going to die. That's philosophy. If we look reality square in the face, we are asking for two things. Number one, headaches. And number two, soul aches. Headaches come because our problems are complex. Our world is broken. And it's difficult to even grasp the complexities of this brokenness. It's so obviously frustrating to us uh, when we try to fix it. Nobel Prize winner in economics, Daniel Kahneman, he says that we are desperate to make sense of our experiences. And so desperate, in fact, to make sense of our experiences that we quickly invent irrational stories to explain them. We can't deal very well with uncertainty, but this Nobel Prize winner assures us the world is uncertain, like it or not. More problems. Paul says in Romans 1 that we often recognize the truth, but what do we do? We push it down and away from us. Theologians tell us that when we fell in Adam, our minds fell with us. Seeking understanding and wisdom is going to be a headache for us. But then there are these soul aches as well. The brokenness of our world isn't just, after all, an intellectual puzzle to be figured out. The more we face reality, the more that we grieve over the sorrows in our lives and in the lives of others. Something in us knows that this brokenness is not the way that things are supposed to be. And so those who pursue wisdom and understanding, those who face reality, choose sorrow and grief. That's option one. Option two is forget Socrates. Ignorance is bliss. 
eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Uh, The poet T.S. Eliot said famously, humankind cannot bear very much reality. And for many people in ancient times, as well as in the modern world, being awake to reality and asking the tough questions about life is unbearable. Just so happens that both Ellie and I have, have read new books, and these are both books that deal with how our phones and our news feeds and our social media accounts, how these things allow us to escape from reflecting on our lives and our souls and our spirits. Many of us will hear passionate sermons on a Sunday morning, but before these sermons can really sink in, before we've really reckoned with them, we distract ourselves with political news and memes and cat videos and whatever you do with your phones. It used to be that people walked to the train station and they thought about their lives, about themselves. We once had to be alone with our thoughts when we visited the toilet. But ask somebody today when the last time was that they visited the toilet without their phone. (laughs) There just isn't this time for reflection anymore. We are avoiding reality, and we're especially avoiding self-examination. Now, the first century Colossians, just like people today, had these options. Options one or option two. If you were passionate about understanding and wisdom, then in the ancient world there were plenty of philosophers to teach you how to try to have a good life, even though that life was coming to a quick end. If you preferred, as many of us do today, diversions and distractions in the ancient world, well, guess what? There were celebrity speakers, there were sports, there was gossip, just like today. And so when Paul writes to this church about Jesus and holds Jesus up to them, he's writing to a people who, like us, have to decide, are we going to face reality and pursue wisdom, or are we going to avoid reality and pursue distraction instead? He writes to people who, just like us, are unable to know everything, unable to know exactly what to do in every situation. People who, yes, can engage with the world, but certainly be frustrated and discouraged as they do it. Or people who can avoid reality and risk living meaningless lives. But here Paul wants to show us that unless we are redeemed and vitally united to Jesus Christ, then we are doomed to suffer the frustration and the confusion that comes with caring or the ignorance and foolishness that comes with trying hard not to care. Which type are you, I wonder? If you're like me, maybe you're a little bit of both. I go from one to the other really fast all the time. I care. Caring gets frustrated and depressing, so I distract myself, but that isn't really very satisfying either. And of course, what I should do, and what you all should do, what the Colossians, Paul was saying, ought to do, is this third thing, this third option, Paul's option. 
what is it? Answer, Jesus, wisdom in person. So in the face of this awful choice, Paul has discovered for himself a stunning solution. He says, Colossians 2, 2, that if we belong to Jesus Christ, then we can have the full riches of understanding. The next verse, that if we have Jesus Christ, then we have the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, it's not just here, but in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, even in literature between the two Testaments, that we read this celebration of God's wisdom. Our text from Proverbs that Kai read for us sort of personifies wisdom in the whole book. Wisdom is a lady, lady wisdom. And she's been around since creation, and she's been following God around as, and delighting in God's work and has become wise as a result. Later on, the Hebrew philosopher Ben Sirach wrote some 200 years before Christ this beautiful thing. He writes, who has seen him and could tell of it? Who can praise him as he really is? There are many hidden things which are larger than what we have seen. We have only seen a little of his works. For the Lord has made everything, and he has given wisdom to the faithful. And then, beautifully, Paul sings in Romans chapter 11, how unsearchable are the judgments of God, how inscrutable are his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So who does Lady Wisdom in Proverbs point to? Of whom did Ben Sirach write so eloquently? Who is the one with these unsearchable judgments from whom and to whom and through whom everything is? Paul's answer, Jesus. Jesus. One theologian says, despite everything which God has already made known through revelation, there are still treasures, dimensions, connections, heights, depths, which even Paul has not yet understood or fully investigated or fully fathomed. This is the richness of wisdom in Christ. And outside of life in Christ, Paul teaches, we will always end up in confusion, frustration, foolishness. He says, in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, that the best wisdom of the world will always look at Jesus Christ and find him and find you, if you're following him, foolish. Paul teaches that God in Jesus deliberately frustrated the wisdom of the philosophers. Paul teaches that our obsession with Jesus and our delight specifically in his death on the cross. Something weird, by the way, that Christians are d delighted in when you stop to think about it. The death of a man on a cross. That such things are foolishness to the world, but Paul says they are exactly the wisdom of God for us and for our salvation. Now, does this mean 
that non-Christian philosophers, or for that matter, scientists and economists and psychologists, or just our wise friends who are maybe secular, does this mean that they don't have anything that's worth thinking about to say? No, of course not. Christians will take understanding and wisdom wherever we can get it. But it does mean this, this teaching of Paul's. As he says here in verse 4 of chapter 2, you can craft all the finest sounding arguments in the world. They may even be compelling arguments with lots of truth packed in them. But if you try to obtain wisdom and knowledge apart from the one in whom every bit of wisdom and knowledge is possessed and hidden, then you will have at the heart of your wisdom and your understanding and your knowledge a fatal misunderstanding, a catastrophic folly. Every bit of wisdom and knowledge is ultimately wise and true only as it relates to the one, Jesus, who is himself the treasure trove of all of this wisdom and understanding. Without pointing to Jesus, without finding its fullness and its richness in Jesus, every bit of merely human wisdom becomes foolishness. Now, I want to be careful here so I don't sound judgy again. We Christians are actually the ones being generous to our non-Christian neighbors. The world tells us, you're Jesus, especially his death is foolishness. And then we tell the world, your wisdom is actually really valuable when I relate it to and submit it to Jesus Christ. The world may tell me, don't waste your time with this silly Jesus and with his church. But we tell the world, come and have your wisdom acknowledged and challenged and perfected in the one who is wisdom himself, our Lord Jesus. And that's our invitation today. If you want the good life, if you want to face death with true joy, if you want your best stories, ideas, philosophies, desires, hopes, and dreams to find their happy ending, which actually never ends, then come to Christ Jesus, the eternal treasure trove full of untold knowledge and unfathomable wisdom. But lastly, we have to ask ourselves, what good is it? What good is it to have this wisdom and to have Jesus as our wisdom? If you do come to Jesus, the treasure trove of wisdom, what changes about your life? Well, just briefly, a couple of ideas. Like everything in the Christian life, knowing and being united to Jesus gives us, at the very same time, both humility and confidence. It first humbles us to know and be united to Jesus, our wisdom. We no longer need in Jesus, we no longer dare in Jesus, pretend that we know it all, that we're wise on our own. We can be, therefore, teachable. Do you know how refreshing it is, by the way, to be around people that have a teachable spirit? 
I'm not talking like when I'm teaching you and you're listening well. I'm just talking about friends and colleagues and people who are humble and want to know and learn and are teachable and will learn from anybody. We will spend, after all, eternity being teachable, enjoying day after day for endless days the thrill of learning of Christ and from Christ and applying that learning to a glorious life in glory itself. And so our humble, teachable spirit in Christ also means that in this world, we can repent when we realize that we were wrong, either about the facts of the matter or about what we said and did with those facts, how we applied them to our lives. When we goof up, and we do all the time, and we realize it, we can say, I blew it. I was misunderstood. When we've been foolish, we can say, look, I'm sorry, that was stupid. And we can trust that as we repent to our friends and family and those that we wrong with our messed up minds and our foolishness, we can trust that Jesus is growing us in his wisdom as we repent and are forgiven. But we don't just need to be humble. We need to be, at the same time, supremely confident. After all, our Lord Jesus doesn't just know all things in a technical and exhaustive sense, but he knows all things in practical and situational senses. He's wise. He applies all knowledge well. Our Savior does. He doesn't just know stuff, but he knows what to do with it. And we, after all, are united to him. And this is a glorious thing. My old pastor once said, and it has stuck with me, obviously, all these years, none of us knows everything. And there are a lot of things about which we know practically nothing. But, he said, if we know Jesus Christ, then we know something. Actually, we know the most important thing of all about absolutely everything in the entire universe. Isn't that stunning? That over this thing or that thing about which I know precious little, Jesus Christ is in fact wise and Lord, and I am in Christ by grace. So the world around us will realize that we're different. We don't have to grow overwhelmed and paralyzed by the unknown, because after all, all the unknowns are known by Jesus, and we are vitally united to him. And this gives us the freedom, doesn't it, to approach life not with fears and resignation, but with wonder and awe and joy. Friends, you don't have to just pick options one or two. You can have more than frustration and sorrow as you pursue a meaningful life. You can have more than the endless distractions that we use to avoid real life. Instead, you can live in Jesus Christ. And then for all eternity, starting now, you will never stop experiencing the joys of unlocking new treasure troves of understanding and wisdom as Jesus is kind to show them to you. And what's the wisest thing of all 
in Christ? Well, his father, in his stunning wisdom, sent our Lord Jesus to lay down his life for you at what so many have called the foolish cross. But our wise Savior then took his life back up again. And now, in all of his wisdom and generosity, he offers new life and life in him, the wise one, today. So, come and live in Jesus, who is your true wisdom. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we submit all of our minds and hearts and wills and emotions to Jesus, we would sense that he is Lord of all and that he does all things well. Help us never to be haughty or boastful. Help us always to be teachable. And give us the joy of salvation that includes the pleasure of learning from our Savior, who teaches us as we are humble under his wisdom and strength. May we each come to him afresh today for the first time or the thousandth time and find in him all the wisdom that we need for this life and for the life to come. We make our prayer humbly in his name. Amen.